Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, back by no one's demand but our own from our home office here in sunny, scenic, chilly, quarantined Elizabeth Park, Nashville, Tennessee. It is the 615 Sessions podcast powered by Two Rivers Ford and brought to you as always by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville.com. Happy Thursday here on the podcast. A lot to get into. Titans, Vols. Noah Dory Jackson at practice on Wednesday. Philip Fulmer got a secret extension. Emily Proud of Channel 2 is here to talk about it over the course of the pod. And we got five good minutes on coaching cowardice among the greatest plagues not named COVID-19 in society today. Before we get to that conversation, a word about our friends at Two Rivers Ford, where you can do your holiday shopping. You can get great specials online at tworiversford.com. They're confident they will save you time and money as your one-stop shop for finding your next vehicle. They always strive to deliver a superior experience. Whether you go out to the dealership in Mount Juliet, you meet their non-commissioned sales staff, no pressure on you to buy a vehicle when you go pay them a visit, or you go through the entire car purchasing process online. Maybe you like social distance as, a, as, a, as an application for life. Not everybody does, but some people do. Regardless of your preference, all you need to do is give them a call, check them out online, or go visit them at Two Rivers Ford. Now, let's get to M. Back here, 615 Sessions podcast on the GetBeast.com Zoom line. Uh, Emily Proud, she could not uh, she could not be bothered to work with anybody else, as is the normal custom. We like to have three co-hosts or three yeah, three co-hosts, two guest co-hosts around here. But Emily decided, no, this was going to be her show today. She was going to take control. She was going to she was going to do all of the balls bashing. Uh, and so now she sits here before us, just her and me, and she's going to be a diva on the podcast. But I don't think you're going to out-diva me. Good luck. Oh, this is going to be a fair fight. I do appreciate you bringing me in to talk about ball scandals, though, because I kind of i am a professional at that. So I Let's do it. <laughs> I mean, just where, where even to begin? Because we have a lot to talk about. We're, we're going to talk a little bit about the Titans, but mostly about the balls. We haven't done a ball show in a while. And Emily, uh, being noted Homer, Orange Glasses, uh, balls fan, we figured that we would bring her in here to defend her school. But I see what you tried to do for the audience watching on YouTube. You have, you've positioned yourself as a Belmont Bruins, uh, which you are a Belmont Bruins alumni but this is this is not this is not fooling anybody what you've done here our football team's undefeated since 1895 so <laughs> well you know what so's mine uh or at least in the last <laughs> since 1890. yeah uh that's gonna that's gonna change pretty quickly <laughs> so oh, what, what are you, are you picking against them on saturday i know it's kind of a hot take but yeah i think so Disrespect. Okay, so let's let's talk about uh, more dysfunction in the football world. Philip Fulmer got a two-year extension in May. We're just now finding out about it. Um, what the hell? Yeah, it's interesting coming from, um, you know, not just UT. I feel like teams in general love to break their own news, and they love to get ahead of it. And so it's kind of strange. It makes you wonder why did they not announce this, um, considering they announced an extension regarding the athletic department earlier this year um, when they willingly told us about Jeremy Pruitt's two-year extension. So it it definitely begs the question, why did you not uh, publicize this when it comes to, you know, the University of Tennessee and and what the reason was behind that? At first glance, um, I guess Pruitt's extension had kind of a a positive pandemic 
swing to it in that he decided to forego a raise, I guess not forego, push it until next year, delay a raise. He's still going to get it. Um, and so maybe this one didn't have a positive pandemic swing, but the fact that it happened back in May is so strange that we're just now hearing about it now. Um, many shout out to local journalism still uh, alive and well and, and holding these teams accountable. Blake Topmeyer out here killing it. The, the, he uh, crushing it. There is, there is no Adam Schefter to dunk upon the – well, actually, there's plenty of college football, national college football writers that could have got this news. Um, yeah. And Blake Topmeyer's beating them to it, which we appreciate. Not just the Philip Fulmer extension uh, that was kept under wraps, but these reports of staffers on, uh, on the Tennessee Volunteers payroll that opted to not take payrolls amidst the global pandemic when so many of us uh, were not, – not us in particular on this podcast, but – uh, when so many people were asked to uh, asked to take pay cuts and asked to or got furloughed, so on and so forth, a terrible look. But Blake uh, Topmeyer profiting off of all of those things in uh, in uh, spectacular fashion. So you love to see it. Um, yeah, by being a local journalist at a local newspaper, he is uh, already taking a, a salary cut, just in general, <laughs> from other sort of <laughs> fields out there. So I know. No, I mean, you, you do appreciate it because oh, sure. I, I talked about the accountability aspect of it, too, and that, you know, we, we deal with this as the media landscape continues to change and that teams have their own um, media and, and that they like to break their own news and they like to get ahead of it and, and kind of spin the positive stories. But this is another reminder um, that, you know, although they do a great job and, and I argue VFL Films is, is one of the top um, digital mediums as far as covering teams and, and working with a team that I've ever seen. I mean, they're incredible. Um, and obviously Jim Wyatt does a great job with the Titans. And, oh, I was um, so and, waiting and, for you to forget Jimmy so I could, so I could paint what? you as an anti-Jim Wyatt person. Oh my, is that, is that, does that person exist? Is there is that a Jim Wyatt out there? I mean, there's not a more lovable person. I missed the little stats between him and, and Paul Kaharski and it's uh, towards the end of the season last year at all these very rival press conferences. I definitely missed that. Talking about holding people accountable, Jim Wyatt does a good job of keeping PK in check sometimes. I miss um. I miss press conference. I miss normal press conferences so much. Uh, the zooms are only going to get worse the longer that this goes on. It's uh, it's it was doomed from the start, but now uh, now it's just nobody's even trying anymore. And Ryan Tannehill is working Jimmy Fallon phrases into the. Zoom calls that nobody notices because Ryan Tannehill is exceptionally dull on these things in a way that ever, you know, it's, it's unfortunate uh, that we go from Marcus Mario to that, but this is an entirely different conversation and I have to yeah. keep focused, Emily, because I have yeah. attention deficit disorder and this is not, you know, I, the, the attention span of a small road. We gotta, we gotta stay one thing at a time, one day at a time, okay. one week at a time, one practice at a time. All right. Phil Fulmer. Yeah. Uh, I don't. So we don't know why he would have received an extension in May. We don't know what would have garnered the reason for the extension in the first place, given, you know, everything that's being done to college, college athletic department finances across the country right now. And certainly at the time when that extension was given out, but like, tell me if I'm off base on this, because I have such a, I have such a visceral reaction to anything Philip Fulmer because it's not even it's not it's not like it's anything personal it's not like it's anything that is really grounded in in reality until this year but I just I go back to this booster luncheon or whatever he was at before the season started and he's got the microphone and he's very excited because they've just had you know a fine virtual off-season recruiting uh, go at things, and you know the, the the Vols are 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 the the darlings of barstool sports, and everything is trending up, and big orange. And so he gets in front of this booster luncheon or whatever the hell it was, and he says the Vols are back, and we're here to get a piece of everybody's ass. And we, I I watched that clip, and now they're two and four. They've lost four straight. The coach appears to be somewhere between overwhelmed and incompetent and this is his guy and yet everybody's screaming the Vols are back but the only thing that Phil Fulmer has done as far as I can tell is keep Rick Barnes because UCLA didn't offer him enough money somebody make that make sense to me Emily because I'm starting to think that Phil Fulmer is not competent enough to do this job uh yeah Barnes and, and Kelly Harper I think are probably the biggest moves that he made. Um, 
as, as the athletic director. And, and it was such a strange time a few years ago when he was hired because it was such a mess um, with him being in the running for the position, but then, then going in favor mess, of though. John I miss Curry. Those so much. I miss that. I, that, that, <laughs> that. Those are the balls that I love. That's yes, the that, that was a fun time. Yeah, I mean, John Curry went rogue and hopped on a plane and went and <laughs> talked to the pirate. <laughs> I mean, it was just, it was the strangest thing. And so it seemed kind of like all of that was such a rush to get it on the straight and narrow. And so the, the easy thing was kind of to bring in Philip Fulmer, a guy that everybody agreed with, everybody loved, was a VFL, uh, someone that brought, you know, the football team a lot of success in the past and brought them a national championship. And so putting him ahead of it kind of made you sweep all, all the craziness of the Shiano Sunday and then John Curry and everything under the rug. Shiano and then Sunday he is had such a great day name. I wish that, no, I, I wish I'd have known about that sooner. We should make t-shirts. Oh, there's a book already written about it. I mean, it's, it's legit. Yeah. It's, it's a real thing. Um, oh. I, I, I don't give me credit for that. I've not coined that term. Um, but no, and then, you know, he, he came in so quickly at a time when kind of the clock was really ticking. They needed to bring in a football coach. And so, you know, he ended up going to the, event in New York City when Peyton Manning was there and had all the kind of assistant coaches in the SEC that they were looking at and then of course went with Jeremy Pruitt and that all happened within the first week on the job um, and so that's kind of the, the strange part is that this happened so quickly and so it's tough to judge him based off of that but the yeah the kind of cockiness I guess with him thinking like we're back we're ready to go you know we ended the season on, on a six-game win streak of course it's very easy to look back at the teams that they beat and um, see that that doesn't mean a whole lot. But you think about in year three, you're not expecting necessarily to, to beat the Alabamas. So I'll kind of push that game aside when it comes to this current losing streak that they're on. But you've got to beat the Kentucky and the Arkansas. I mean, that's what hurts is that you hope by year three, you're beating the teams that you're supposed to beat. You know, the, the teams that you play kind of the back half of the season in a typical season like Mizzou. Vanderbilt, Kentucky, those sorts of teams, you're expected to beat those, um, but then hopefully compete with the Floridas and the Georgias, the teams that you play earlier in the season. And they haven't even played Florida yet, so um, that's a concern. Florida, as we know, likes to put up 60 points a game, apparently, this season with Heisman frontrunner Kyle Trask. But that the football side of things is what he was brought in to fix. And I'm not saying that from a standpoint of, well, he was a former football coach, so we expected him to. He said, I am here to revive the football program. And the worst stat I've heard all week long is that Pruitt has the same record as Butch Jones through 31 games. Oh, yes. Yes. Brick by yeah, brick. I'm stabbing myself. <laughs> yes. Just... I'm picturing Butch Jones on the Nike box throne. I mean, all of that is just, oh. it, it burns. My God, that just gave me new life in the midst of all of this vols and aptitude. The same record through 31 games as my dear, as my dear lost, uh, my beloved Lyle Butch Jones. What I would do to have him back uh, in my life with all of these terrible cliches. No, that, that's, that's, the, that's the gig, right, if you're Phil Fulmer. Come in, fix the football program. What matters at Tennessee is football and women's basketball historically but like the thing that I come back to him is I'm so tired of hearing about the Vols success historically I'm so over it uh, it feels like 98 no damn 98 it hasn't felt like 98 since 98 and all of this you know, and, and and like to put it within my own context for people because you know they're, they're going to think that I'm just ripping on the Vols and maybe a little bit of that because it's 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 the definition of insanity it's just repeating it over and over and over again and this seems to be the cycle that they're stuck in but like with Indiana basketball, it's they consider themselves the uh, the school that I went to, the team that I love. They consider themselves to be a college basketball powerhouse. When they have not won a national championship since the '80s, before I was alive, before Bobby Knight didn't matter long after I came into basketball cognizance. And I look at Tennessee football the exact same way, because for much of my adult life, and I know there's been there's been moments of success and. And Butch Jones has had moments of success, and Lane Kiffin made them nationally relevant, even you know throughout the course of that tenure, even up to how it ended. Now you die for Lane Kiffin to come back. Um, I just don't get this need to continue to bring people in who have been associated with past success of the football program when it has absolutely nothing to do with the success, the future success of the football program. And I know people are going to say, John Curry, you know, look what happened there. That was not our guy. That was not a Tennessee guy. 
and everything that came to pass. And he had ties to, you know, the region at least that made it a little more palatable for some people. But why continue to cling to this era of greatness when it's been over over 20 years at this point since you've been anything close to great? Because it's the Tennessee way. It's, it's the SEC way, too. I mean, tradition is so incredibly important. I mean, why do you think that, you know, most of the gear that they have, obviously the color has not changed. The Pantone 151 has not changed in, in a million years. But even you, you go to the ball shop and you go to get some new swag and it's all, you know, all the old school balls, logos and everything. I mean, people cling to tradition so much. T. Martin is on the coaching staff right now. Everyone is so excited about that. How's this position group doing? Not great. Um, the offense in general, not great. And so, you know, you bring in Jim Chaney, a guy that used to be. It's so much of kind of grasping at straws on, on what was um, and, and hopefully what can be. And that's why, you know, the Fulmer thing was such a quick fix with the Band-Aid, you know. We tried John Curry with the Kansas State. You know, he has been an athletic director. They did well then, but Kansas State is so far away from here. This is, this is not a, our Southern guy. This is not a guy that knows what the Tennessee way is. And, and that's the thing. No, I mean, that's why they were, they were looking so closely at, um, who's it, David Blackburn, right. ETC. Um, he was another guy that was in the running because he is an alum of the University of Tennessee. People loved him. And I think they honestly, when they were going through the coaching search, a lot of people were more high on him than they were even on Fulmer just because Fulmer didn't have that experience um, being an athletic director. And so it's, it's such a Tennessee thing. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily a negative. Right now, clearly, it's not turning out great. Um, but it's so important for them to have people that understand what it means um, to be a Tennessee ball, understand the tradition, the things that don't change. But to a certain extent, I mean, you look at someone, I know I hate to bring this up, but you look at a team like Alabama. They have built their bread and butter, recent, not recently, but it, at the beginning of the Nick Saban era on having great defenses. You never had that standout quarterback that was electric, that was a guy that everybody knew, that was a Heisman front runner. It was about defense and it was about running the ball hard. Now that they've realized that offense has become the new thing and being able to have a great passer and have a prolific quarterback, they've adjusted and they've changed with the times. And that's why they were able to go to bat with Lee Kiffin and Ole Miss and, and put up 50 plus, 60 plus points throughout the season is because they've adjusted to the times. And so to a certain extent, Tennessee needs to be able to be a little bit more moldable and, and able to look into the future and look into what's going on right now and, and hopefully change a little bit of their ways and, and go out of the, the cycle of, okay, well, if we bring back guys that won in the past, if we bring back some of the best part of our history, maybe we can do it again. Kelly Harper, great example. Kelly Jolly, former Lady Vol. I mean, it's so much of just keeping within the family and within um, the, the UT program. And it's not, it's not always successful, but sometimes it is. I'd say Kelly Harper had a great year last year. I think she finished, what, 21 and 10. We didn't get to see what they did postseason necessarily oh sure just, i don't want to discount is so important i th but it's you know keeping it within the family family and at what point does it become incestuous like at what point does it become right something, now when uh, it comes uh, to the ut football program it's not working no it's not working at all i just think that the whole idea it's not that tradition is overrated it's just so vastly overvalued like i really don't think it's that hard for somebody from the outside who maybe didn't go to tennessee but understands the history of college football it's important to understand your history. It's important to understand the history of the sport, especially the program that you're going to be in charge of overseeing this, that, and the other thing, of course. But I just don't think it's that under, uh, that's diff, that difficult to understand like the Vol fan experience or the Tennessee Vol experience from coming from another college football program if it is of the same standard, the same, you know, recognized to be at the same level of Tennessee. And listen, Tennessee's, uh, the Vols are, are, not they're not in a class of their own because there's obviously many more great historic college football programs but they're a part of that a part of that puzzle for sure i just think that it's been so long that you can't keep you can't keep selling me tradition when all it does is remind me of a time then when you used to be great and now you're not great in you retrospect. Can, you can sell us tradition because we were alive, but you can't sell that to the recruits coming in because they were not alive in, in 98 when this happened. And so that's the frustrating part 
is they look at Alabama, they look at Ohio State, they look at Clemson and they say, yeah, I saw those programs win national championships. So I want to go to those programs to win national championships. It's so, it's such a tough sell. It's becoming such a hard sell for Tennessee when you talk about 98 and they're like, before I was born, did that happen? I don't know any of those people. I, you can't look at those balls. I mean, the balls used to have the most players for a certain period. It was like them and Miami were really close to having the most BFLs and, and alumni in the NFL. That's not the case anymore. So you can't even go and say, well, I remember growing up watching that guy. I loved him. I want to be a Tennessee ball just like him. For Big Cordell whatever Patterson reason, fan. You got, you Out here that. waving the flag for Cordell Patterson. BFL <laughs> group. But like the last person that I heard to, to say something that I was a little surprised about was Trevor Lawrence saying he grew up watching Peyton Manning and so he wanted to be a ball. Of course, that's like <laughs> scariest thing to tell Tennessee ball fans. It's, my quarterback, it's Michael so Penix. He, Tennessee but, didn't want yeah. him. Tennessee didn't want yeah. him. Not four and zero with my Hoosiers. That's, yeah, he's uh, doing all right. I know, but that's the shame is that you're you're losing that window. Everyone talks about a window to win in. With you know, you've got a great quarterback. You got to win while you've got this guy. It's it's more losing the window on opportunities to sell the prolific program and to sell the success and national championship. Kids are are very young these days. <laughs> They're born in the two thousands. I'm just, I'm so mad at you for aging us. Like you can sell us tradition. Like we're our parents all of a sudden. When the hell did that happen? You're, you meanwhile, you're talking over text about being an actual 70 year old and I'm playing Aretha Franklin in the morning when I wake up today. Like what the hell is wrong with us? What happened here? I don't know. <laughs> this, this field, this year, I don't even, it's aged, aged all of us. Uh. I've had always, I've always had on my Twitter bio that I consider myself an old woman. Um, and I do, I do for many reasons. So I just, mm, old soul, but yeah, I'm, I'm not going to actually age myself and tell you how old I was in 98, but let's just say that I wasn't really paying attention to that football game. No, I, uh, if <laughs> I would have been, I would have been five years old. Uh, so 1998, not really registering in terms of the ball's greatness. Anyway, let's talk about the other football program that has its own problems. Uh, the Titans, at the time, so I have just come from Tennessee Titans practice. We are taping this at 1.25 p.m. on a Wednesday. So technically, I'm not allowed to say that Adoree Jackson did practice. But, the t- but at the time that people will hear this on Thursday morning, he will have not practiced and it will be made public. Now, we don't know what he's going to do Thursday. Um, and, of course, we'll, uh, we'll continue to update you as this goes along for those of you listening at home. But he's not he's, – uh, he wasn't out there. Nor was Clowney, which is, you know – Pretty common at this point. I did not see Ben Jones. I did not see Roger Saffold, which does not alarm you the way that the Adoree Jackson saga continues to. They are at Baltimore on Sunday. I think that Baltimore is a flawed football team just like they are. They're both at 6-3. and three. Baltimore has common opponent tiebreaker advantages over them right now. But can they win without Adoree on Sunday? That's the million-dollar question. Um, That's why I'm asking I, it to you. I, I know, I know. And, and the frustrating part is that I always thought that bringing in a Dory Jackson, I was one of those believers that I thought it would solve things. Um, but when you see a guy like Kevin Byard, who I, I don't know why, I hate, I'm going to sound like a mother here, but watching that game back, very disappointed uh, in, in the amount of space that he was giving and the amount of cushion that he was giving. And so when you have guys like that not playing up to their standards, I don't know. Um, the defense, for whatever reason, coming into this game doesn't concern me as much nearly as the offense, just because of how good Baltimore's defense is um, and how they're going to match up and, and just with the trajectory of the Titans' offense wait, wait, right wait, wait, now. Wait, wait, pause. The um, defense I, does not concern you? No, the, as far as matchup, the defense matchup with the Ravens offense doesn't concern me as much as the Titans offense matching up with the Ravens defense. I don't think the people listening to this can, can hear or can see my facial expression. You two people can, but I'm, I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm borderline offended by what you've just said. This defense stinks. You mean to tell me that Lamar Jackson against the Tennessee Titans defense, this is not a matchup that you're worried about? Explain. It is, but if I had to choose between which matchup I'm more concerned about, it would be the offense. They were outscored 21 to nothing in the second half. We can like focus on the 21. You full first take on the podcast. The this, this Stephen A. Smith impression that you're doing with the hot take. I think you're thinking it's hotter than I'm thinking it's hot. If, if clearly, you're concerned about both sides of the ball, and let's just extend that to special teams as well. All three <sighs> phases concern the hell out of me. But I'm <laughs> as far as ranking them, what 
matchup concerns me the most, it would be this Titans offense that seems to have lost its identity up against the Ravens defense that is, is incredible. And so, um, no, I don't think a Dory Jackson is going to be the, the difference maker. For reason one being, I don't think he's going to be there. Reason two being, I don't think him being there magically solves all of their problems. And I think their biggest problem, as, as we've seen, is just, I mean, the amount of, the amount of yards they're giving up, not just not on the ground to running backs necessarily, but just to running backs in general. And that kind of space behind where you have like Jayon Brown and, um, and, and some of those guys kind of in that middle, middle range areas, giving up that short yardage situation. It's, it's frustrating because they, they play so well. I, I'm going on a tangent here because they play so well in actual short yardage situations, but then when it comes to the middle yardage situations, giving up six, seven, eight yards, they've done a good job of, of minimizing big plays, but it's that middle. And that's what's allowing these teams to come in and do these big, long like drives that just eat up all this time. And it's frustrating. So yeah, I, I, I'm concerned about the defense of the Ravens offense, of course, when you have a, <laughs> Lamar Jackson, but I don't know. I feel like you're making me need to backtrack here, but I'm still, I'm just so concerned about the Titans offense. I don't know. Don't I play know. on your heels on this story. podcast, Em. If you got, if you say something like that, you got to stick to it. You got to come with these opinions I strong. I am sticking to it. There's so many things that frustrate me, but if I just <laughs> rank them right now, <laughs> the maybe offense, special teams, defense. Which is shocking to me. Given What's your ranking? Years. What, what are we power ranking? Uh, this, uh, this is my worst nightmare. It's like game score predictions. Um, no, I it listen to matching up against the Ravens. And no, I, I'm with you to a degree. Up. Like I, I, oh, sorry. Usually I'm professional for my phone alarm to go off right now. Uh, I look at the Ravens right now and I think that Lamar is, is doing too much. Like he, it looks not in the sense that he's trying to like trying to carry them too much. Cause they still are a good offense. It's that he seems to be so desperate to convince you, me, and everybody that watches NFL football, as well as himself and probably the coaching staff, that he can play quarterback from the pocket. And I think it's costing him rushing yards. I think it's costing him opportunities to make plays. I, I looked at several, uh, several plays against the New England Patriots on Sunday Night Football when the Ravens you know, essentially blew it. And I know the weather was bad and there was some bad snaps and the, the, the Ravens setter is getting death threats that he's needing to post on social media about. And it's all a disaster because uh, sports fans stink. I love you all, but you stink. Um, I think that there is a degree of you that says, okay, the Ravens, to a much lesser extent, they're kind of like the Titans on offense or on defense rather, where they they seem to have lost a little bit of what made them who they were which is a tough physical unit that dominates at the line of scrimmage, which can be said for both sides of the ball. And it's not like the Ravens rushing attack is much worse than it was when these two teams squared off in the, uh, in the divisional round this January. But I just watched Lamar and I say he's given, he's given up so much of what made him special that it's not – it's Kaepernick-like to a degree – in the sense that they're trying to convince themselves they're a different kind of player than what makes them great, what makes them spectacular, what makes them, you know, undefendable to a degree. Because Lamar Jackson, and he still makes these plays with his legs, where you're like, what, how? How do you, how do you evade that pressure? How did you make that a 15-yard gain when you were clearly dead to rights behind the line of scrimmage? There's a lot of that which lessens your concern about the defense. So I guess that's about the Titans defense. So I guess to a degree, um, special teams, offense, defense for me, if we're ranking these things, because the kicker, inexplicable. Is that not exactly what I said? So we agree. Yeah, but I said it more... <laughs> I said more it convincingly? More, Okay. Well, yeah, you know, because I. But it, I kind of feel like I talked you into it at this point because you said I said I was crazy and it was first take, and then we end up at the same. <laughs> no, but your, your mistake. <laughs> your mistake is saying I kind of anything. You have to say things declaratively okay. Okay. 
with a huge amount of confidence. I'm going to be your hot take coach because I, I yell at a camera okay. for a living an hour a night. No, I like it. No, uh, I, I, so, need, I need so, the help. <laughs> so just, you know, say things as, as, as if you absolutely know them to be fact, and then everybody, everybody will think you know what the hell you're talking about, which is what my entire career. I don't actually know anything. I don't know, I don't know what the hell I'm watching on a regular basis. Well, I don't, think, I, I don't think you're supposed to say that. Well, yeah, but people who listen to this enough, they know. They know. It's okay. They know. Okay. Um, <laughs> when it comes to Lamar Jackson, do you think he's uh, reading into too much with, you know, when people say that what he did last year isn't necessarily sustainable because they haven't seen a quarterback do that? Oh, sure. I worry a little bit about that. I mean, All these do, you think he, do you think that's something that he reads into, or do you think Harbaugh is telling him, dude, you can't run as much. We need you. Um, I mean, I'm sure they would like, you know, I don't, that's what I worry about is that he's being told, tone it down a little bit. You threw the ball really well last year. So try it again this year more than running. But the reason that he was able to throw it so well is because he had the threat to run. If it was maybe, if it was like 25 other coaches, I would say, yeah, there's probably a degree of it, but like John Harbaugh, what makes him a good coach is he's not married to the idea of doing yeah. anything. Like, it's about as drastic a switch as you could make from Super Bowl MVP Joe Flacco for whatever he looked like the rest of his career to Lamar freaking Jackson. Like, I think that when you talk about coaches and Harbaugh in particular, like the way that we evaluate quarterbacks is kind of changing. It's not kind of changing. Like, we're seeing it evolve – in front of us on a regular basis where Joe Flacco and Nick Foles and Andy Dalton, I mean, Andy Dalton could move a little bit, but like these immobile pocket passing quarterbacks, they're dinosaurs and they're an inherent disadvantage unless like Roethlisberger and Rivers, you can get the ball out in just a fraction of a second uh, or of a, fra a fraction of a millisecond over two seconds to, to completely mitigate a pass rush. Like we've seen, the Steelers and the Colts do to the Titans this year. Um, so I don't think Harbaugh, and I, I don't know this, right? Like I'm not, I'm not a, we're, we don't cover the Ravens. We don't know the ins and outs of, of what's happening with that organization, but I'm kind of, I'm kind of of the mindset. And I think that the way that Harbaugh coaches is he just kind of adapts to what works and what wins them football games in the immediacy of it. Like, I just – I don't think John Harbaugh is the type to outthink himself in that way. And, and I – you know, maybe that's, maybe that's to the detriment of Lamar Jackson's career to where you talk about extensions later on. And you're like, no, you're a, you're a mobile quarterback that's going to – you know, you're going to get hurt playing the way that you do. We think that we can do this with another dude. Maybe not to the extent. Maybe not as great as Lamar Jackson. But I'm seeing Daniel Jones run faster than Lamar Jackson right now. I think you can do this with a lot of guys that are coming out right now. And that's not to take a ton away from Lamar because he's special for sure. But I just don't think – I don't think Harbaugh thinks that way. You know what I'm saying? No, remember when we were supposed to talk about Adoree Jackson? Yeah, but all of this, all of this factors in. I mean, totally. it's all yeah. relevant. It's all the same football game. Yeah. I think the reason that I'm – I don't think that Adoree is going to come in and make as big of a difference as I thought he was is that I thought Breon Borders has done a decent job. Um, and I also think that – uh, King has come in and done a decent job too but I think it's so similar to the situation that we're seeing on the offensive line as well where you look at Tyson Brelo and you're like he's he's not doing a poor job stepping in release of Taylor Lewan, but he's not Taylor Lewan. and I think that you under you might have underappreciated Taylor Lewan in the fact that not only does he do his job well but he makes everybody's job around him um, a lot easier oh, and God, you're obviously say that missing. out loud because now he's okay, going to say well, that he was that he was underappreciated he's so dramatic you listen to this Yes, yes, because oh, he knows okay. that my podcast wins awards and his doesn't. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, good. Then we just we knocked him back down to reality there. I said, I built him up and then you knocked him back down. Um, but no, from the standpoint of that, you don't have to bring in a lot of help uh, around Taylor Lewan. He just, he just shuts down that, that side of the line. And with Tyson Brillo, he, he does okay, but he's not a pro bowler like Taylor Lewan. So the same thing Brian Borders is doing all right when you see him in these situational um, you know, plays, but he's not a Dory Jackson and he doesn't give you kind of that, that speed element that, that a Dory gives you. So I don't know. It's, I just, I'm not a firm believer that it's a, a one player fix because I've, I've found issues with a lot of, <laughs> a lot of uh, players on that side of the ball. And, and that's the frustrating part. Yeah, you, no, you I want to have hope. You want to say, okay, these guys come off IR and they'll, they'll fix all of our problems. Let's just wait, just wait it out. As soon as the Dory comes back in, be good to go. 
I, I mean, honestly, the only thing that I'm hoping is that they don't blow this and, and ruin what it should be a hugely profitable offseason for me if, if, if everything goes according to plan, but, you know, uh, or postseason. What? Right? Postseason. I, it's good for business if they keep winning them. Like, that's really, oh. you know, it doesn't oh, matter okay. to me whether they win or lose, to be honest with you, because a little disaster every once in a while, it's, it's you know, people, people read more, people watch more. Um, and, and I would like for them to continue to win because I like to cover the postseason, even in a pandemic year. Uh, and that was a lot of fun last year. But, uh, you know, to your point about Lawan, he, he really does make such a difference. And, and for, you know, I, I give him a hard, I give just generally a hard time. I'm obviously kidding. Um, about <laughs> Taylor, even though my podcast does win awards and his doesn't. Um, he, you can clearly see Tannehill being pressured more. Uh, under duress, yeah. maybe maybe Sambrio isn't giving up sacks, and there's there's I'm sure something to do with the fact that Jameel Douglas had to play two positions last game. That's not an ideal situation, uh, but the the inability, I think the what on one side Taylor Lewan in protection or helping to protect Tannehill makes a world of difference. To another degree, I think having Adam Humphreys on third down helps them move the chains in a way that yeah. did not make them since week six, like one of the least, the, the bot, like bottom three efficient on first down. They're just a little bit better than Chicago and Dallas right now, which is disgusting to thinking, uh, to think about given what they look like, not, you know, not five, six weeks ago. So it's going to happen to every team. Nobody is going to finish with the same personnel as they started with. It's a war of attrition in the NFL and the team that drags its leg across the finish line as the most healthy usually ends up winning the championship. But then this year is obviously much different given uh, all the things that COVID does to a roster on a weekly basis. And, and we, we all know what an experience that was early on in the season. I just, well, that's what's killing them though. That's what? the frustrating part is that they've, done so well under duress and, and under these adverse circumstances where they don't have their top guys, they don't have guys available, that they've set themselves up for failure now because we're not allowed to use this as an excuse because you didn't have Adam Humphreys for that game. You didn't have three wide receivers for that game. You didn't have Jeffrey Simmons for that game against the Bills. Of course, the Tuesday night game is what I'm talking about. And then, you know, you want to make an excuse on a short week with Thursday night. You play on a Tuesday night. And so the fact that they were able to overcome that adversity and, and play well despite it makes it way more difficult to use it as an excuse now as to why they're having trouble. And look across the league. The 49ers would have something to say about what it's like losing some players to injury. I'm sure there's a lot of teams that are very, very beat up right now in this year. Um, it, it's hard to, to say that. But I think what's plaguing the Titans more than anything is not necessarily just the guys that are out, um, but guys that are technically playing but aren't feeling great because, what, it's week 11. That's the NFL. Uh, so since you took a sh uh, shot at him on WKRN, by the way, Emily Proud of WKRN is on the podcast. I don't know that I properly introduced you at the start of this thing. Uh, watch her okay. uh, on Channel 2 here locally. Um, since you publicly took a shot at Mike Vrabel for being Captain Obvious on the Saturday program that I was watching at like 11 o'clock at night, uh, that I was very excited to see you just, one of 20 viewers. Thank just you. publicly sideswipe the head coach of the Tennessee Titans for some just bullshit generality that he was spewing out uh, that happens to us day after day after day. Do you trust Mike to fix this, Captain Obvious? Yeah, yeah. I do. I, I think that he's, he's proven himself worthy of, um, of having that respect and, and having that trust. Um, not just from us in the media, but, but from the fan base. And that was in response to when Teresa asked him what, um, what happened with the, the missed punts and the, or the missed kick and then the issues with the punts. He said, well, we shanked a punt one had one blocked and we missed a field goal. So yeah, it was, it was pretty captain obvious there, but he's, he's proven himself um, good at, at working in these um, adverse situations I think too when it comes to locker room management that's always something that he's done a good job at when it comes to, to plugging in certain players to making sure that it's not a a me sort of situation where there's any sort of duress when it comes to the locker room or selfishness or anything like that he's he does a good job of kind of keeping everybody level-headed um even through some of these issues and if you know the last two years have anything to say about it. They've always been in it towards the end of the year. And so um, I know that you, you don't feel good having lost three of the last four games. 
still feel good about their trajectory, but based on what we've seen down the stretch the last few years, I'm, I'm not ready to, to quite give up on their ability to bounce back and figure this thing out. Speaking of punting issues, defend your boy, noted VFL great in the NFL, Trevor Daniel. I really can't. <laughs> what, am, what am I supposed to say? That first 48-yard punt was good. Um, no, it's a, it's a weird situation, and I get it. And now that we're kind of learning a little bit more about it, it, it when it first came out, it looked like he, you know, that Ryan Allen lost the job necessarily, but they were hoping to have Trevor Daniel this entire time. They just didn't have time for him because when he passed all of his tests, it was, what, Saturday before the Bears game. And so he hadn't held for Gaskowski yet. And so they said, well, Ryan Allen, you have, so we're going to let you go. Um, so obviously it doesn't look good, but – it's really just, I mean, if we're, if we're being honest, it's just one shanked punt. Um, I'm more concerned about the guys blocking for him because if you go back and look at some of Ryan Allen's punts, they were very close to, to one or two of those getting, um, getting blocked. And so I'm more concerned about that. Um, but no, I mean, the balls have been proven to be punter you. I mean, look at, look at the Cole Quits and Trevor Daniels. So we'll see. Hopefully he gets it figured out. But I am extremely nervous because <laughs> I was going to say, look at you, you're leaking confidence as soon as you made the argument for Trevor Daniel, just immediately leaking confidence. No, it wasn't an argument. I was more making the argument for the decision to go with him on Thursday in that it was not necessarily they were saying like an indictment on on Ryan Allen that he didn't play well on Sunday. Because I think that's what it looked like was that wasn't good enough. So we're going to bring in Trevor Daniel because it was fine. What, 15 and a half? Thing and a half, and net, net, net closer to 40, which is the more important number, but you know, these yeah. are semantics. Um, Emily Proud, next parting shots. Any, any, what? It's a next-gen punting staff. Oh, it's uh, it's the, the sport is getting too smart for me anymore. There are too many numbers that I have to keep up with on a regular basis. All right, on the way out the door, you got anything for the people? You want to you wanna, you wanna take any side swipes at anybody? Mike Vrabel, Phil Fulmer. Uh, Trevor Daniel, any, anyone else that, that needs to feel the wrath of, uh, of Emily Proud um, before she goes back and does television for WKRM? Well, the wrath is really not that um, wrath-like. I wouldn't say that I'm a very scary person, but I would like to have a little parting shot at eight assistant UT coaches that decided not to take a pay cut. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt did say that this was a story that is not done being written, um, but okay. it is a horrible look when everybody else in the athletic department, um, most of whom make way less money than some of these assistant coaches that didn't take a pay cut, the two football assistant coaches who did happened to both be former balls with Jay Graham and, and T. VFL um, tradition. So tradition. I, I don't know what, what, what that says. Um, and then the fact that Jeremy Pruitt didn't know about it until he read about it in a local newspaper in Knoxville, Knoxville News Sentinel. Shout out again to Blake Topmeyer. Um, that's frustrating that he wasn't aware that his assistant coaches said, no, thank you. Um, Buck, you have to make 50 grand a year. If you make over 50 grand in the UT athletic department, you had to take a pay cut if you're not a contracted employee. 50 grand, that is less than 5% of what Tennessee's offensive coordinator makes. It's so, it's so frustrating. Um, it's, it's, it's a bad look. If it was some sort of miscommunication behind the scenes, I don't care. Um, it's, it's extremely frustrating, and I'm, I'm not going to be one to tell somebody how they should spend their money, how they should save their money, whatnot. Um, but plain and simple, it's something that doesn't look good to the rest of the country and something that arguably can be used against them in recruiting um, when it comes to trying to get a kid to come to your school saying, well, they probably didn't take a pay cut because they thought that they were all, you know, they're not, they're not VFL. They're not <laughs> for Tennessee. Tradition. Um, it, it doesn't look good. No, and that, that's, I just, I, that frustrates me more than anything. So many people are sacrificing in this world right now, and it's just, it's not a good look, and it's, it's going to be used against them, because um, there's really no way to, no way to spin it in a positive way. Oh, damn it. You had to make this serious. Like, this is, this is Sorry. such a, there's so many people sacrificing. You said of <laughs> I don't know. Why for me? No, listen. I this uh, is in thirty-seven days. Is that what you want to hear? <laughs> and I refuse to decorate my house. Emily Proud of WKRN News Two, kind enough to give us some of her time here on the six one five sessions. You tried your best, but you could not out diva me, Emma. I appreciate your time. Maybe next time. <laughs> Always enjoy our time hanging out on the pod with M. 
A quick word before we get to five good minutes, because remember, this week's flip-flopped. We did the mailbag on Tuesday. Today will be five good minutes on cowardice and coaching, because I think there's been a really, really strong example of it here in Tennessee. We're going to talk about it, but first, a quick word about our friends at Tame the Beast. Go and give the gift this holiday season of better smell. You want your friends to smell better. You want your loved ones to smell better. And this is applicable for beasts of all kinds with their fantastic grooming and personal products. You can go, I'm literally on my desk, I brought it in here for the primetime show to show that audience this beast aluminum shampoo bottle. It's refillable, it's eco-friendly, it looks fantastic. It makes my shower, honestly, I'm not sure what it does to the aesthetic of my shower, but it makes, it does something. It does something for certain. There's something dignified, something uh, something classy about an aluminum shower bottle. I don't know what it is. It doesn't rust. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't bother anything. You order the refills at GetBeast.com. You use the promo code BEAST2020. That's how you save 20% off on all of their great grooming products. You can go, you can customize a Beast box for the holiday season with things like the aluminum shower bottle, the hard hair clay, the body lotion, the yaw hand wash, all of it. Or you can pick out one of their prepackaged Beast boxes and give the gift of better smell. Groom boldly, be a beast with our friends at Tame the Beast. Okay, five good minutes on cowardice and coaching. Because what Emily and I spent a little bit of time on, and I did radio today, as you're hearing this yesterday, because of course... We're recording this at the reasonable hour of 11:30 p.m. on Wednesday nights. Not like you know, not the, not not the. Nobody cares how busy I've been today, but we did a lot today, and so now we're getting to the podcast because we got to make sure we get it to the people on time. And something that Brent Doherty and myself spent some time on on the radio today was Jeremy Pruitt. Something that Emily and I touched on more about Philip Fulmer over the course of this podcast, but. Jarrett Garantano not necessarily being named outright the starter for Auburn. What Jeremy Pruitt is saying is that they're going to wait to see how it plays out on Saturday, that it benefits them none to make it known to Auburn who their quarterback will be when it has consistently been been Garantano. And so ultimately what the people want, what you all should want if you're a Vols fan, if, if you're a college football fan, or just somebody who enjoys the SEC on Saturdays and doesn't want to hate watching Tennessee football, what you should at least hope for is hope in the form of Harrison Bailey. Now, what this brings about is a larger point about what took what it took to get here. Jared Garantano has just around under... Jared Garantano has under 1,000 yards through six games of an SEC season. Kyle Trask threw six touchdowns last weekend for Florida and is being slept on as a Heisman candidate and probably the Heisman winner if if he continues to be on this pace. What we see with the quarterback situation at Tennessee is something that just, it really, really frustrates you because what Garantano represents is the same old thing. You have seen him have performances against schools like Auburn, where he goes out and he throws for 300-plus yards and two touchdowns, and he looks like the player that you thought you recruited. And other times, he has these roller coasters of games, and against Arkansas, where they're hiding him in the first half of that game before he ends up getting bounced for a head injury and everything gets thrown into flux again. But what it, it just literally took Jeremy Pruitt being metaphorically dragged uh, dragged from his position of needing to stick with Jarek Garantano to finally put Harrison Bailey after a disastrous performance by Brian Maurer at the end of the game when there's no real shot and you put him out there to hand the ball off six times or he throws the interception on fourth and four because that's, to- that's the time that you choose to let him throw the ball and it gets tipped up and on and on it goes, right? You know this story a million times over. But why did it take so long to get here, and why don't you have a better plan for him? 
My thing with Harrison Bailey is this highly touted recruit, much like Garantano, but at this point (laughs) has to have more promise because you know what JG is. Why haven't there, why hasn't there been a more concerted effort to not just develop all of the quarterbacks, but to work with him specifically in a year where eligibility simply does not matter and you have the opportunity to see what he can do? Why are you so scared of what you don't know? This is what I don't get with coaches sometimes. And it's not like this is the case across the board. I think that many coaches, you know, I think it wavers, right? I think coaches, like more than anything, football coaches fear turnovers. And so for the longest, it was not heavy pass. There was not a, a, a great emphasis on the passing game because that created more opportunities for you to throw interceptions than obviously everybody figured out how much more efficient you could be on offense if you simply throw the ball smarter, for lack of a better term. But football coaches forever have been terrified of turnovers. And through that cowardice, through that fear of the unknown, you find yourself in a place where you're keeping the probably more talented prospect with obviously a higher ceiling and who has not yet been so screwed up because he's been through so much like JG has. You have the opportunity to find a way to tailor things around a guy like Harrison Bailey and see what he's got. For the future of your program, for the sake of recruiting, as something to show people when you're on the SEC network or on CBS from time to time when you're worth a damn, that this is the thing, this is the reason why you want to come play offensive football at Tennessee, is to come play with this guy if we know how to use him. So either they don't know how to use Harrison Bailey, which they clearly don't understand the position of quarterback the way that they are paid to act like they should at the very least, And so they fear what it is that they don't know. And what it is that they don't know is sitting on their bench as a highly touted recruit who people just want to see if he's got something and if you know how to use him. And so if you're holding him back, it's because you don't know how to use him, and that just shows the flaw in the coaching that we keep coming back to over and over and over again. It's coaching scared. It drives me crazy. And what may be an even bigger indictment is it might be a lack of creativity from your coaching staff Maybe you've already seen that displayed enough, but at this point, I think it just keeps rearing its ugly head. Five good minutes before to send you into the football weekend with uh, Vols on the horizon at the Plains. We will see what comes to pass. In the meantime, we will continue to have great conversations. In the meantime, I need you to support the people that support this show. Two Rivers Ford, Tame the Beast, they'll hook you up, especially as we get closer to the holiday season. Reminder to slide in my DMs on Instagram at buckrising, R-E-I-S-I-N-G, for your Music City mailbag questions. We'll do it again next Thursday. We'll have a bunch more great conversations with people in and around your favorite teams, and we'll see what happens. I'm going to be on the road this weekend. I'm going to go to Baltimore. It's been a while since I've been there. I'm not going to do much when I get there. I'm just going to sit in my hotel room. Uh, and stare at the wall until it's time to go to an empty football stadium, but at least I'll be there. And we'll see what happens as a result and whether the Tennessee Titans and the Tennessee Vols, for lack of a better term, find some kind of direction instead of this, what seems to be a little bit of a tailspin on both sides. Subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast. Five stars would be greatly appreciated. That's how we spread the message, spread the good word. So in the meantime, I need you to stay safe, stay clean, And as always, stay hot, Nashville. This has been the 615 Sessions podcast powered by Two Rivers Ford and brought to you as always by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville.com.